Hebrews 13, verse 14. For here on earth, we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. The Living Translation, for this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. If that's how you feel, you've already got it. If you struggle with that, I'd like to minister today on the theme, No Continuing City. Please be seated. It's January 2023. Last Sunday, I, I ministered on the theme, A Time to Throw Away. A time to let go of the past. A time to repent of sins. Time to lay aside every weight and the sin that besets us. This past Wednesday and last Sunday, I referred to the verse I just mentioned, but I want you to see it today on the screens. Hebrews 12 and 1, and I think we may have a challenge with that. Hebrews 12 and 1, wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. What is this race the writer's talking about? And what is the finish line? We're not strolling through life. We're on a mission. We're in a race. We have a destination. There's a start called salvation. There's a finish line called the judgment and eternity. The Bible describes our life as a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. The Bible clearly tells us that we are merely passing through time and we are destined for eternity. Every one of us in this room, everyone watching online, every person who's ever breathed a breath or ever will, will spend a long eternity, an unending eternity, that's what it means, either in heaven or in hell. You are either running the race of faith toward the prize of eternal life, or you're racing toward an eternity separated from God in an eternal lake of fire. Contrary to the hopes of many and the false teaching, the erroneous teaching of others, there is no third option in eternity. It is heaven, the new Jerusalem. It is hell, the lake of fire, the unjust and the filthy will spend eternity in a place that suits their character. The righteous and holy people will spend eternity in that holy city, a place that is conducive to what they've become through salvation and a life of becoming like Jesus Christ. And however you are at your last breath or the coming of the Lord is how you will be for eternity. That is what Revelation 22 declares, that you'll be righteous still, holy still, filthy still, unjust still. That whatever you are, when time ends and we enter eternity, you will be that forever and ever and ever. There are no more changes. There's no more repentance. There's no time to reconsider what you are when you leave life, for eternity is what you will be forever. The state of your soul 
at the coming of the Lord or your last breath will be the state of your soul forever. And what you are at the end will be what you are for eternity. I know I'm being a little redundant now, but, but I want you to understand that time to repent is now. Today is the day of salvation. You cannot wait for another moment. You're not promised another breath or day or chance, another week or another new year. Amen. No wonder the writer of Hebrews would warn us, would admonish us to lay aside every weight. This is a race. And if you're carrying things that encumber you, if you're carrying stuff in your life that is not blatantly sin, but you know it is unhealthy for you spiritually, you know it is slowing you down, the Bible would tell you to lay it aside. And if there's sin in your life, lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us and let us run with, amen, with faith, the race that is set before us. Whatever will disqualify you from heaven is not worth it. You cannot take that to hell. You cannot take it to heaven. You will leave it behind here on earth. So give it up now. Lay it aside now so you can enjoy heaven and you can avoid hell. It's time to throw away. It's time to consecrate ourselves afresh. And then as the writer of Hebrews said in the next verse, looking unto Jesus, the author of the originator and the finisher of our faith. It's time for us to fix our gaze on that which is eternal and avoid that which will disqualify us in our pursuit of heaven. This verse has captured my mind for the last really several weeks. The theme of this, Hebrews 13, 14. For here we have no continuing city, but we who are saved, we seek one to come. Now the Bible uses some terminology to describe life on earth. Believers are called pilgrims, strangers, passing through a foreign land. Our citizenship is in heaven. And here on earth, the Bible is very clear that we have no permanent home, no continuing city. Now, if our view of Christianity takes away the understanding of heaven and hell, then we start asking questions about being in the church and serving God that are somewhat like this. What will serving God do for my marriage? Will being in church help me raise my kids? Will it help me succeed in my career? Will it help me overcome personal problems? Will it help me feel more fulfilled in my life? And the answer to all of those questions is yes. God will bless you. God will help you. God will guide you. God will provide for you. The Bible has help in everything I just named. But all of those are for time. That with the goal of getting our kids, getting our family to heaven and help them not go to hell. Everything that Jesus does for us in time is to prepare us for that long eternity. Amen. 
Heaven is not just thrown in as a nice benefit at the end of the ride. It is the ultimate goal. It is the purpose of our lives. And here we have no continuing city. It's natural to want to enjoy the here and now. And God created a beautiful world. Fallen though it is, there are many benefits that accompany salvation. And God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. We don't view death as the gateway to get out of this that we're living for. We're living for this now. But eternity in heaven is the longing of the soul. It's everything we live for. And that's why we view ourselves as pilgrims and foreigners in this life, strangers and transients on this earth. So let me give you the biblical view of this whole idea. In the beginning, when God created man and woman, created them in his image, in Genesis 1, he told them to be fruitful and multiply and to replenish the earth. I want you to populate the earth, to spread over the earth. And as you read through the early chapters of Genesis, even to Genesis chapter 10, you find migrations of families to cities and area. They are spreading out, moving to new places on the earth. But a particular group of people came to an area called Shinar, and they liked it there. They decided that they would put down deep roots there, and they would populate that area alone. No more traveling, no more moving. We're going to park ourselves right here. When you read their story, you can find that their, their efforts were motivated by pride, maybe a little bit by fear. But they said in one speech and one language, as the world was at that time, why don't we build ourselves a city and a tower? It's going to reach up to heaven, much like a pyramid or a ziggurat. It's going to be a place of worship. We're going to build this city, and, and then we're going to make us a name. And here's this phrase, lest we be scattered. Now, God said go, but they said stay. Their fear or their desire was to not be scattered upon the face of the whole earth. The result of this ambition was the Tower of Babel, the city of Babel, and God was not pleased. While they're building, God checks out this effort. And he said they're of one speech, one tongue. Nothing they're wanting to do is going to be withheld from them. They're going to accomplish this because of their unity. So God came down and he confused their languages so in an instant of time, they can no longer communicate with one another. As a result, this vast building project ceased. They were scattered across the earth. They could no more build. And the Bible said through this confusion of languages, Genesis eleven nine, 9, that the Lord did scatter them abroad upon the face of the earth. Now, there's nothing wrong with having a home and living in a city. But what God is against is us putting roots so deep that we lose sight of eternity, that we live for now and forget the by and by that God has called us to. And so he gives us some patterns 
in the Bible, starting with what I've just said. Abraham is the father of the Jewish people. He's the father of the people of faith throughout every generation. God calls Abram at that time, before his name is changed to Abraham, he calls Abram out of this beautiful, large, sophisticated city of Ur of the Chaldees. And he tells Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to make you a blessing. And he says that to Abraham, all families of the earth are going to be blessed. He leaves the stability of a city, and he trades in a house for a tent. And Abraham is on the move. For generations, Abraham and his son Isaac and his son Jacob are semi-nomadic people. They didn't own a lot of personal property, as in lands and houses. They lived in tents. Their wealth was in livestock, maybe some cash, jewels and gold, and servants, but it was not in real estate. They are on the move. Lot, Abraham's nephew, decides that's not the life for him. He moves into the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, two very wicked cities. It goes up in smoke. It ends as a very salty experience with Lot and his wife and daughters and Sodom and Gomorrah. But Abraham is on the move. He is a transient. He is a semi-nomadic person who lives in tents and is looking for something better than Canaan land. The Bible tells us about him in Hebrews 11.8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. This is the life of faith. Now, I know you want to have everything figured out. You want every detail of your life mapped out in advance, revealed to you. That's how I would like to live. I want to know all the details in my personality. But Abraham leaves security for what would be human insecurity. He leaves what is known for a future that is unknown. He's simply obeying the word of God. Verse 9 of Hebrews 11. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country. This is what God promised him. But he's there like he doesn't really belong there. And he's dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Now, what does Abraham have his gaze fixed on? Is it a beautiful home in Canaan land? It was more than that. Hebrews 11.10 tells us what Abraham was looking for. For he looked for a city which had foundation, whose builder and maker is God. The city that Abraham is looking for is a city with foundations. Now, if you lived your life in a tent, that would sound mighty good. No more hard ground, a city with foundations. That is notable. But the city that Abraham is looking for 
The Bible doesn't say it has a foundation. It said it has foundations. And the foundations of the new Jerusalem are not one or two, but they are 12. Abraham, from way back then, thousands of years ago, understood that life on earth is temporary. Here, we have no continuing city, but there is one that is coming that has foundations whose builder and maker is God. That's what Abraham had his eyes on. He knew that here, there is no continuing city. Hebrews 11 is that amazing chapter of the heroes of faith. Hebrews eleven thirteen tells us in a summary fashion about all these Old Testament heroes of faith. These all died in faith. Hebrews eleven thirteen, Not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Strangers means foreigners. Here we are on planet earth feeling like we don't really belong here. A pilgrim, someone traveling in foreign countries. For they that say such things, verse 14, declare plainly that they seek a country. They're looking for something else. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. Here's what I know. If you look back, you go back. If you try to go back into your life and just look back, you're going to be pulled to your past. But these men and women of faith in your Bible, they're looking for something in the future. And they've decided that what they've left behind does not compare to where they're going. Amen. Verse 16. For now they desire a better country. Heaven is not just another place. It's a better place. That is a heavenly Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. We are transients on this earth. There is no continuing city. There's nothing really permanent here. Now, the Bible reinforces this idea. David said it in 1 Chronicles 29, 15, for we are strangers before thee and sojourners as were all our fathers, our days on the earth are as a shadow, and there is none abiding. In the Psalms, Psalm 39 and 12, hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear unto my cry. Hold not thy peace and at my tears, for I am a stranger with thee and a sojourner as all my fathers were. In Psalm 119, twice, the psalmist says that I am a stranger on the earth. I'm living this life in the house of my pilgrimage. In the New Testament, Jesus looked at his disciples and said that they are not of this world, even as I am not 
of this world. In Philippians, the apostle Paul said that our citizenship, the King James says conversation, our citizenship is in heaven from which we also look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I know you may have citizenship in the United States of America, and wonderful if you do. You might be natural born like me. But the Bible says we have now made ourselves a citizenship in heaven. Our new birth experience of turning from our sins to repentance, being baptized in Jesus' name, being filled with the Holy Ghost. We now have a new name and a new hope and a new eternal destination. We have a new citizenship. We belong to that eternal city that has foundations, whose builder, whose architect is God. Amen. The Apostle Paul said, if in this life only we who are saved have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. The most miserable people in the world are people who have lost sight of heaven. Believers that think that it is all for now and forget that time will pass away and eternity will go on and on forever. I grew up in church singing songs out of the songbook. And I remember many songs as I prepared for this message. But one that's rather obscure. Oh Lord, you know, I have no friend like you. If heaven's not my home, then Lord, what will I do? If I'm just living for time. If I'm just living for now, if everything ends at my last breath, then I am of all men most miserable. But God has given us a hope and an assurance. And I know that here there is no continuing city, but there is a city that we're headed to. There will be no night there. There will be no end there. Jesus will be there. Amen. It's the only permanent thing. Amen. You know, the Bible says that when you receive the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, that it is the earnest of your inheritance. If you ever bought a home, you probably had to plunk down some earnest money. It's like a down payment. It's an assurance that you're going to come through on the whole deal. You can lose that if you back out, right? When you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, God gave you a down payment to let you know that he's going to pay in full in eternity. Now, the Bible says that the Holy Ghost is joy unspeakable and full of glory. And sometimes we're raised up to sit together in heavenly places. But in your best day, in the Spirit of God, it is nothing but a taste of the world to come. It is simply a down payment of what God has promised for you, provided for you. Amen. There is a heaven to gain. There's a hell to shun. And in this world, there is no continuing city. Amen. The Apostle Peter appealed to that early generation of Christians to consider themselves as pilgrims and strangers. First Peter 1.17, he tells them to 
past the time of your sojourning here in reverence or in fear, the King James says. One motivation for holy living is to know that you're a, a stranger and a pilgrim and you should abstain from fleshly lusts that war against your soul. Why would you say no to temptation if it doesn't matter? Why would you say no to lust if it doesn't matter, if there is no heaven, if there is no hell? But he told them to be motivated to do right for what is to come. That on earth there is no continuing city, but in heaven it will go on and on forever. The apostle Peter in that same passage told them to live honest lives among ungodly people. He told them to obey the laws of the land. He taught them to obey those in spiritual authority over them. He taught them to not use your freedom as a cover-up to do whatever you want to do. Never forget that whatever God gave you now is a down payment on the permanence of heaven. In the second book of Peter, Second Peter, he talks about people who have lost sight of heaven. He said in the last days, that's our days, that scoffers will come, mockers, ridiculers, and they're going to say, where is the promise of his coming? Since the fathers fell asleep for thousands of years, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. In other words, they're going to say nothing's ever changed. Nothing will ever change. One generation will pass away, another will take its place, but it all ends in the grave. The earth is nothing but a spinning mausoleum. We live and die and are no more. That's what they thought. That's what they said. But the apostle Peter said that they're willingly ignorant. They're forgetting the facts that the old world that was disobedient and violent and away from God that world was destroyed by a worldwide flood. And the apostle Peter says that this earth that was destroyed by water then has a reservation for a future judgment. When everything that you can see and touch and everything that is now will be destroyed by fire in the judgment of God. In other words, here it is not permanent. This will be dissolved. It will be burned up and the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with the fervent heat. The earth and the works of it will be burned up. And then he kind of looks at them. I could see him pointing his finger at them as he, if he could, he's writing, you know, and saying, listen to me. Seeing that all these things are going to be dissolved. Everything that you can touch and see and feel. All of it is going to pass away. What kind of person? What manner of person should you be? In all holy conversation and godliness. And then he tells him looking for and hurrying, hasting into the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. He reminds him, and I want you to see this, 
on the screen, 2 Peter 3.13. Nevertheless, we, we who are saved, we who have this hope, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. In other words, with this understanding that on earth nothing is permanent and that down here there is no continuing city. At the beginning of 2023, we should continue to examine ourselves and decide whether we're living for now or then, whether we belong to ourselves or we belong to Jesus Christ. And do we know that our goal is to be saved and to go to heaven? My mission today, my mission is to remind you that heaven is our home and that here on earth, there is no continuing city. The writer of Hebrews, unnamed, he makes the case in previous chapters to 13, the chapter we're reading from today in our text. I spoke about that in Hebrews 11. He talks about the heroes of faith, pilgrims, sojourners. They're, they're looking for a city. They confess that they're pilgrims and strangers on the earth. They don't look back. They desire a heavenly country. They're looking up. They're looking there. And then in verse 13, verse 14, our text again, for here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. This is the heritage of the people of God. We're here, but our hearts are in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. We are laying up treasures in heaven by the way we live our lives, our time, our talent, our treasure is being invested there where it will never depreciate, never go away, only accumulate. That's the heritage of the people of God, that there is nothing permanent on earth, that we should live for the permanence of heaven. I grew up in a really stable home. My mom was proudly born and raised in Metro Miami, Florida. And she would like to talk about it. She was very proud that she had never moved away. Mom and dad were married 66 years and a day when dad passed away. My mom lived in the same home after they were married before I was born they bought that home. She lived in that home over 67 years until because of her health, we had to, to sell her home. She spent her final year and a half or so living with her kids because she wasn't healthy enough to live at home. But my mom loved her little home. She loved her city. She loved her stability. She was very proud that her four kids were raised there. But as I reflected on this message and on my mom's hankering, her desire for stability, I thought about this home on this earth. There is no continuing city. When her kids grew up, we all moved away. You know, that's the, 
that what happened to my mom and, and life changed. Her neighborhood changed. Her city changed. The circumstances all around her changed. While she proudly flew the American flag in her front yard, she was surrounded by wonderful neighbors who were of Cuban descent, who took care of her, who loved her very much, but she could not talk to them because they did not speak English and she would not speak Spanish, wouldn't try. Proudly an American. In my lifetime, I've lived in four cities. I grew up in Miami and when I was 20, I went to Bible college, 19, almost 20. And we lived in Jackson, Mississippi uh, until I was 33 and moved to St. Louis and I lived there until I was 40 and moved to Atlanta at just under 40, right at 40. And we've been here over 27 and a half years. And my wife and I and our family, we, we've emptied our lives working for God, serving our church. We love Atlanta West Pentecostal Church. We have a wonderful church family on earth. This is where we poured our treasure. This is where our heart is. We've been blessed by a loving family and wonderful friendships, incredible team members in ministry, we're content with who we are, what we have, and what God's done in our lives. But with all that said, in the past 27 years here, we have changed. The city changes. People changes. And you have to say that nothing I do here, no roots I put down are permanent. For here, there is no continuing city. If you put your foot in the river of life and pull it back, when you step back in, it will not be the same. You can be nostalgic and go back home. I remember going back home when I was in Bible college and, and I would think to myself, I feel like I'm a little different, like it's not the same. And that's the way life is. You can go back, but back will not be the same. The city will change. The people will change. You will change. Life will change. I'm not saying that you'll be miserable, and I'm not saying to go back home. I'm just telling you that God put eternity in our hearts. He created us for a holy city. And on this earth, no matter how much you try, there is nothing permanent. There is no continuing city. We preached about that God-sized hole in all of our hearts. We were created for relationship with God. And I believe that we are homesick for the presence of the Lord before we're saved. We desire something we've never felt or had. And when we receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, there is a longing for the presence of God I don't typically look around, but today I did see some blank stares. I did see some disconnected people. And I want to tell you that you're miserable because you're living for earth and you're not living for heaven. You're not living and walking in the spirit. No wonder you're miserable. No wonder you're miserable. You are created for a relationship with Jesus Christ. You are created to walk with him, to live in him to have the power of his spirit living in your life. You're never going to be happy, carnal. You're never going to be happy, not spiritual. And I'll go another step further. You'll never be happy not pursuing what God has called you to do with your life. Fulfillment is found in fruitfulness. And when you find the will of God and do the will of God, there is joy in the journey. 
But no matter what, no matter how rich life is in, in relationships and blessing and fulfillment of ministry, there are times that even the most spiritual person and probably the most spiritual person has a longing. Some would call it that hankering. It's not a desire for salvation, but it's a desire to go to a home we've never been. Those Old Testament saints without the Holy Spirit living by faith and obeying what God had taught them, they were looking for a city. They were hunger for, hungry for a home. They were reaching for a heaven that they had seen, didn't know what we know about heaven, but inside of them, the deepest longing of the heart is for a relationship with Jesus Christ and the heaven that will house him forever in the presence of the Lord. That is what we should be living for. So that is what we will die for. Songwriters and poets and poems have spoke about this desire for heaven. I, I've never been this homesick before. I'm kind of homesick for a country to which I've never been before. No sad goodbyes will there be spoken for time won't matter anymore. Why do writers write about being homesick for heaven when you've never been there, but you're a citizen of that city. Your heart belongs there. Your holy life was designed to be lived for eternity there. That's why we're grieved at the sin and violence of our world. That's why at times we're just a little bit miserable. Paul wrote about this in Romans 8, that we ourselves groan within ourselves. We're waiting for redemption, for the adoption of our bodies. When this mortal puts on immortality and this corruptible flesh puts on incorruption, the Bible said then, shall be brought to pass the saying which is written death is swallowed up in victory that's where we're going that's what we live for and here and here there is no continuing city the writer of Hebrews was not playing on the emotions of those who would read his book throughout the generations wasn't making an emotional appeal to us like penning a poem that would make us think about heaven. He's writing to Hebrew and Gentile Christians, but it's the book of Hebrews, Hebrew Christian. And he knew that they knew that their entire heritage was one of movement. Abraham and Ur traveling. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob and tents. Jacob's family in Egypt for 130 years and then out and wandering for 40 years and go to the promised land of Canaan and live disobediently there and evicted from that land, placed in exile in Babylon for 70 years and over time until modern times, the Jews dispersed all over the world, scattered abroad. Acts chapter 2 tells us about dwelling at Jerusalem, Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven, coming back for that Pentecostal feast day. The apostle Peter addressed his book to strangers scattered throughout various regions of the world. But the timing and the wording of Hebrews 13, 14, this verse was kind of ominous to those who knew. No matter how settled they were, 
their world was about to be turned upside down. The book of Hebrews was written probably between 63 and 65 AD. The city that the Jews considered to be their homeland, their holy city, would soon be no more. Jesus prophesied about it. He said, the days are going to come. Your enemies are going to cast a trench about you. They're going to compass thee round and keep thee in on every side. A siege on the city of Jerusalem is what Jesus prophesied. And shall lay thee even with the ground and thy children within thee and shall not leave in thee one stone upon another because thou knewest not the day of thy visitation. History is very clear. Somewhere along 66 AD, Jewish revolt, Roman attacks. It's a long story. But in 70 AD, after four or so years of fighting, the Roman general Titus, at the bidding of his father, led armies to completely destroy the city of Jerusalem. An historical account I read said that Titus wanted to save the temple, but his soldiers were so angry at the Jews for their resistance, they had killed thousands of Roman soldiers, that they burned the temple, and the temple, the shrine, was completely destroyed. Where were the Jewish Christians? Where were the Gentile Christians? Most of them had already fled Jerusalem by persecution. Most of them were dispersed throughout the world. They, they were no longer there. And so when the writer of Hebrews spoke to Hebrew Christians, he wanted them to understand that there is nothing permanent, not even this holy city, and you're holding on to something that you love, but what you love that is temporary, is going to be destroyed. So you need to understand that here there is no continuing city. That you need to seek the one to come. And that is the mission of my message today. To get us to set our hearts on heaven. To think about what God has promised us. We want a peaceful life. We pray for it. The Bible says we should. As a father and grandfather and pastor, I desire things to go well for us. I would love for things in America, in our city, to go well. I'm not prophesying that it will not be that way. I'm only telling you what the Bible says today. That don't put all your stock in here and now. But put your greatest treasure in the world to come. Don't live for now. This world is passing away. And you will pass away. And only what you invest there will last. And only if you're saved here will you be able to go there.